0: way things just went right perfect according to plan god not just any plan but your plan father thank you so much god i thank you for the many that you've healed god as i scanned through that prayer list lord there's many that i looked over because they're they're better now they're not in the hospital now or they're they're doing better now or they're they're not facing that same problem now god and it's it's a blessing just to scan through and to know I need to go back and clean up a prayer list and take names off of it, God. That's just because of your goodness and your grace. And we just want to take time to tell you thank you, God, for being so good. Thank you that we can come into your throne room. Thank you that we can pray, God. Thank you that we can call out on the names of those that need help, those that are hurting, God, those that need a touch and need healing. Father, I thank you that we can call and ask you to, to meet with us here tonight, God, to forgive us where we failed you, to Cleanse us of any sin, anything that would hinder your Holy Spirit from meeting here among us and being in the midst of us, God. Anything that would stop you from being able to dwell here with us and and encourage us and strengthen us. God, we pray you move in this place. Help us to learn something from your word and above all, God. We pray that you'd be pleased in all that we do. We love you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we left off down at verse 14 and 15. I want to back up to about verse 7. It won't take that long to read about seven extra verses to try to kind of build this, the story back up to, to where we are <laughs> Verse number 7 of Acts chapter 4, when they had set them in the midst, this is, of course, talking about Peter and John. They've healed the lame man at the gate of the temple called Beautiful. And and now they've been brought before the Sanhedrin council, the 72 members of the Sanhedrin, and all the big wheels, the big cats. They've been brought and put in the middle of them and asked, by what power, by what name have you done this? Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, "Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This stone which was set at naught of you builders has become the head of the corner. We talked about it last week. They're very familiar with what Peter is talking about here in the Old Testament prophecies of the stone and the rejection. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. That would be the greatest thing anybody could ever say about us, is that they have been around Jesus. Verse 14, beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against And That's where we left off. We want to pick up here verse number 15. It says, but when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, so they put them out, conferring among among themselves, saying, what shall we do to these men? That indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them and is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak nor to teach in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. We cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing that they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. The man was above forty years old, of whom this miracle of healing was showed. Being let go, they went to their own company and reported all the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that in them is. Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against the holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Lord, now behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness we may speak thy word. Stretching forth thine hand to heal, and signs and wonders may be done... By the name of thy holy child, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They spake the word of God with boldness. Man, there it is. All started in chapter 3 with a beggar sitting at a gate of a temple called Beautiful. One man just sitting there needing some help. All he wanted was some alms. The name of Jesus. They said, How'd you do it? The name of Jesus. All about Jesus. Thank you. You can be seated. We're going to go back up and look at him for a little while. This man is more than 40 years old, and he's the talk of the town. A A miracle has been done. Everybody knows the beggar at the gate. I mean, in that day, it was necessary. You had to go to the temple at times to keep from being basically cast out of the community. So everybody knows this man. Everybody knows his past. But now this man has been healed, and he has been healed in the name of Jesus. All of his healing, everything about what has happened is linked to this one man, Jesus. Everybody's heard about it. Many of them have seen the man as he leaped and he went into the temple, and he's there jumping and shouting and praising. See, the best thing that could have happened for the Sanhedrin is they could have just denied it. I mean, if the Sanhedrin could have just said that never happened or that man really wasn't lame or that miracle really didn't happen, but there's no denying this. Everybody knows this man for more than 40 years has been at that gate begging. Everybody knows that he went in there leaping. and everybody's heard about it. There is no denying it because of all the witnesses. What they said in verse 15, when they commanded to go aside, counsel they conferred among themselves. Verse 16 said... What shall we do to these men for that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. So they've asked Peter and John by what name did this miracle take place and Peter cleaned their clocks for them. He let them know who Jesus was. He let them know, you're the ones that crucified him. You're the builders that rejected the chief cornerstone. I mean, he didn't hold nothing back about letting them know who they are. So the Sanhedrin sends them out, and they talk amongst themselves about what to do. And we talked about it last week. Originally, they probably expected to intimidate these two men or these three men, but certainly the two men and Peter and John with all their robes and their festive and all their titles and all that they had and all of their importance in the nation, they probably thought that they might intimidate. I don't know that, but I'm just thinking with all this there, they probably had that possibility in their mind because, you know, in that day, if anybody came against anything in in that council, you were thrown out of the synagogue. You could no longer be a part of it. So they were used to intimidating people. They were used to getting things their way by way of intimidation. But it didn't take them long to learn when Peter started talking that intimidation wasn't going to work here wasn't going to be none of that. So they said, okay, that didn't work. So now we're going to bring them in and threaten them that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. They called them and commanded them not to speak nor to teach, or, or not at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. Three months ago, three months ago, this might have worked on Peter. Three months ago, before he rejected Jesus. Three months ago, before they hid out while Jesus was crucified. Three months ago, before the crucifixion, they hid in the upper room for a while. That might have worked on Peter, but not today. Those days are gone. Peter was there the night he was arrested. Peter saw how much he loved him, even when he looked at him after the cock crowed, after he rejected him the third time. Peter not only saw him crucified, Peter saw him resurrected. Peter didn't just see him resurrected. Peter watched him ascend unto the Father. Peter didn't just watch him ascend unto the Father. Peter was there when the two men in white apparel said, he, men of Galilee, why' you stand ye gaze into the heaven, this same Jesus which you have seen taken into the heaven before you shall so come again in like manner as you have seen him go. Peter saw all that. If all that wasn't enough, this new Peter, this Peter, the Bible said right there, is filled with the Holy Ghost something they don't know anything about. He just showed up about two and a half months ago at Pentecost when he filled the room there in the upper room and and fell among all of them. So there's no way that the Sanhedrin council knows about it. The church don't even really know that much about it yet. But what we know is that Peter had the power of the Holy Ghost, and he was talking with the power of the Holy Ghost. So what we see from the passage here in the, in the, in the Scripture, the Sanhedrin really has no intentions of getting down to the truth. I mean, if something happens and you bring some people in, you would think it would be to establish the truth, right? I mean, if you're going to set up the 72 members of the Sanhedrin, the highest council there, you basically have a trial. They're kind of like the Supreme Court. You would think you would be looking to establish the truth. They had no desire to establish the truth. What they want to do is silence the truth. Peter told them the truth. He told them who healed the man. He told them by what power and what authority. He told them about the crucifixion, about the resurrection. He told them the truth. They have no intentions of learning the truth. They want to stop the truth from spreading, but it's too late. The whole town of Jerusalem already knows about this. 3,000 people saved a little more than two months ago when Peter preached at Pentecost. Now you got 5,000 people that are present here at this when Peter's preaching in the synagogue that day. The Bible says 5,000 men. I'll go ahead and just, just admit to you. I didn't study. A lot of times in the Bible says 5,000 men. That's plus women and children. I, I didn't look and see if that's 5,000 plus or if that's 5,000 total. But it says 5,000 men. So I can say this. There's an awful lot of people. But if you got 5,000 people present and a man over 40 years old been sitting at the gate begging his whole life, just went running by you, jumping up and shouting the name of Jesus about what happened, I bet you this, you went and told somebody. You got 5,000 people talking. If it's men, they're they going to talk a lot. And they tell them, they don't, I mean, the whole town knows about this by now. So, so th- this, is a, this is a big deal. They weren't worried about Peter. They're not worried about John. They're not even worried about the man that was healed, they're only worried about the name of Jesus. They didn't tell Peter, hey, you go out and you go hide, or John, you hide, or or keep the lame man down. They said, you can't speak anymore in the name of Jesus. They hated the name of Jesus. The devil hates the name of Jesus. There's only one thing that they're worried about, and that is that name of Jesus. For more than 2,000 years now, the hatred of the name of Jesus has not diminished at all among the lost world. The devil still hates that name. So the, uh, the attack, the, the threat, the hatred that they put here, what, all their animosity, everything is focused around that one name, Jesus. The devil hates the name Jesus. He hates it because he's afraid of it. He's afraid of it because he knows he can't do nothing about it. He knows that he, it's not just him and his angels that are going to bow before the throne of Almighty God. The devil knows that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The devil hates that name, and there is nothing that he can do to stop it. It says in our text, verse 19, But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. Peter and John says, "Hey, look, we ain't reading a novel here. We're, we're not making this stuff up. Now, I'm not telling you what Aunt Bessie told Uncle Joe, who told Aunt Eileen, and told my cousin Susie, that told me. I'm telling you what I saw. I, I'm just telling my story. Everything. I'm an eyewitness. I'm, we're not making anything up. I, I can only say what I've seen." All I saw was a man sitting there asked for alms. I said, silver and gold, have a an untouched, have a given in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's rise up and walk. The man got up and walked. His name's Jesus. All we can do is tell you here what we've seen. This is the, this is the first time in the New Testament that we find civil disobedience. If the Sanhedrin thought that they could get rid of the name of Jesus by simply making it illegal to say the name Jesus. They were gravely mistaken. There wasn't no way they were silencing these men or any of the people that had seen these great miracles. So, So Peter makes it clear, but then he puts the ball back in their court like, hmm, let's see. Obey God, obey men, hmm. Sanhedrin, Savior, hmm. Who do you think we ought to listen to? You, you know what I mean? It's kind of like put it back in your court. Listen to you or listen to God. You, you call yourself listening to God, but, but you're clearly not. See, in the New Testament, government authority is given to us by God. We are clearly told to obey the local authority. We are clearly told to obey government. If you remember, I preached a message not long after we came back, after we were closed for 12 weeks trying to get reopened when we had to close for COVID the first time and I preached a message about that they to make it obvious they were not after the church when they asked the church to close doors they asked everybody to close I realized some people didn't and and that's on them but here's the reality is like I told you what Dale said that one percent of a hundred thousand is a lot less than one percent of a hundred million and so it was to contain the spread so The government asked businesses to close. They asked us to stay at home, asked everybody to to shelter in place. They asked the churches not to have gatherings, And, and we did that for 12 weeks. But that was because it was not an enforcement. It wasn't a law. They asked, and we did that for the sole purpose of trying to help save the lives of people. Now that we've had it, I understand how much more dangerous it is than I even knew back then. I didn't know what we were dealing with. I thought it was just a flu. I figured everybody would get it, but I learned me something. That's some bad stuff. There's a reason people die from that stuff. It's wicked. It's nasty. And, and, and it, was, it was hard to get over. But, but we, we closed in that time because it was asked. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Hebrews 13, 7, Obey them that have rule over you and submit yourselves. Matthew chapter 22, verse 20, Jesus shows them a coin. He says, whose picture is this? And they say unto him, Caesar's. He saith unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God. So the Bible makes it very clear that we are to obey man-made laws until... There isn't until. When a man-made law contradicts the law of God, we can no longer follow that law, even if it means imprisonment. If they make it against the law to talk about the name of Jesus, we all just became criminals because we can't help but talk about Jesus. He's the one that washed away my sins and washed away yours. He's the one that's brought us here. He's the one that by his stripes we're healed. He's the one that shed his blood at Calvary's cross. He's the one that sprinkled it on the mercy seat of God. He's the name by which we'll be called up into heaven. He's the one we're going to spend eternity with. I can't tell anything about my past, present, or future without talking about Jesus. So if the law, if man makes a man-made law that contradicts the law of God then we can no longer listen to it. But as long as the man just puts the law out, then then we are told in the Scriptures to listen to it. Peter says, you can make it illegal to talk about Jesus all you want to. You can decide for yourself whether or not you think we ought to listen to it, but I'll go ahead and let you in on a little secret. All I can do is tell people what I saw. All I can do is tell people what I heard. So, so they went out. It says in verse 21 that when they further threatened them, so the story doesn't give us the whole rest of the story. There was more threatenings. This conversation happened, might have even got a little Can you imagine what the, how red the faces of the Sanhedrin must have been? I mean, I imagine they were pretty chapped. I don't know. I mean, it don't tell me that part of the story. But, but I'm figuring if they threaten them even more, they, they probably got pretty bent out of shape and they threatened them. And it says that finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people for all men glorified God for that which was done. The man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was. What we see here in this text is that when Jesus was born, this man was at least seven years old when when jesus came into the temple when jesus came into jerusalem at 30 years old this man is at least 37 years old so probably if if his parents quit taking care of him at whatever age as a teenager or whatever he became a beggar at the gate of the temple called beautiful i would imagine when he was really small his parents probably started putting him at this gate because people were probably more prone to give money to a little child knowing that they needed help than if somebody got older so Probably the better part of his forty-seven, his forty, however many years, he he has been sitting here as a beggar when Jesus came by. Now, here's what I wonder. I wonder if Jesus saw this man. I, I wonder if this man saw Jesus. I, I tried looking around. I did do some in-depth study. The best I can tell, it doesn't say that he ever did or didn't. But there's at least a good possibility that he might have. A, Let's just say that he did. This is just a call. I don't have anything said say that he did, that he didn't, but let's just say that he did. Why wouldn't Jesus have healed him? And the only reason I'm asking this because I want to show something else in our own personal lives. Say that Jesus saw him. Okay, and this is nothing but circumstantial evidence. Here's what I know. This man is a beggar at the gate of the temple called Beautiful, and I know that Jesus went to the temple. Okay? That's what I know. Did Jesus see the man? I have no idea. Did the man see Jesus? I have no idea. Did the man heard of Jesus? Oh, absolutely, he had to have. He's in Jerusalem. He can't not have heard of Jesus. But obviously, maybe he didn't ask Jesus to heal him. But we know that Jesus didn't heal everybody regardless. But, but the, the reason I was thinking about this, and the reason I was even looking for it, to even wonder if it might be, because I, I thought, if Jesus had saw him, why would Jesus not have healed him? And I thought of a lot of things. Number one, Jesus didn't heal everybody. Number two, maybe the man asked for alms, and he didn't ask Jesus. That's what he asked Peter and John for. You know, maybe he didn't ask to be healed. So there's a lot of possibilities as to why, maybe not. But I thought about in our own lives about how sometimes we ask God for things and it seems like it took too long for God to intervene. Anybody know what I'm talking about on that one? You know, Mary and Martha thought that about Jesus. He didn't show up until the fourth day. He was late. There was, in, in Jewish customs, there was a hope for three days. In Jewish custom there, was a custom, there was at least a glimmer of hope that after they'd been wrapped and put in there, that they could somehow possibly come back to life, but after three days, all hope was lost. There's a reason Jesus came on the fourth day and not the third day or the second day, to take away all the thoughts of men, that it was anything except the power of God that brought Lazarus out of that grave. They thought he was late, but what we know is that he showed up right on time. So here's what I was thinking. Number one, in our own lives, a lot of times we think God may be late, but God may be waiting on something. And the reason I was looking for that in the story, and I couldn't find it, so I'm making all this up. Y'all know that, right? But but the reason I was thinking that is because it might have been when Jesus went into the temple, that man might have been there, but had Jesus healed him then, It's just another miracle in the Bible, one of the great miracles that Jesus did. But he healed other lame men, you know, the pool of Bethesda. He healed the blind. He he did other miracles. It just becomes one of them. But think of the impact that this man's healing has now. Now that Jesus has gone to the Father, now that the church is being established, now that the Holy Spirit is the authority working through men and it's Peter, that said, Silver and gold have I none. So, had Jesus healed this man, just assuming that he did see him, it would have been three, anywhere between three and a half years ago and six months ago, maybe as much as three months ago, but it wouldn't have had the same impact. I mean, this, this is a powerful moment in the history of the church. This is a powerful moment in bringing the church together. But it says there that being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. Notice they went back to those who were like-minded. Christians like being around Christians. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to say it because I believe it, and y'all, y'all forgive me if you don't. One reason so many Christians are struggling today is because of the type of people they are hanging around. I was always taught, go ahead and say it, Daddy. Run with the dogs, you're going to get fleas. Whatever crowd you run with, that's who you're going to act like. Just because somebody goes to church, now I'm going to get in trouble before it's over, they may go to the same church you go to but just because they go to church if they don't act monday through saturday like the word of god talks about and they don't act like they do on sunday you have no business hanging with them if you want to be a solid christian read the word of god spend time in prayer and hang with people that want to be a solid christian not people that want to be Sunday pretenders. There's a lot of casual Christianity going on. There's a lot of people holding down pews on Sunday morning that can take it or leave it, and they prove that by the infrequency of their visit to the house of God. I'm not casting a stone in there. I'm just telling you plain and simple. Just because everybody goes to church doesn't mean they're all in. And if you hang around part-time Christians, you may find yourself acting part-time. They went back to the people that mattered. They went back to the people that they knew had been praying for them. Can you imagine the people that were there praying for them, how scared they must have been? They know they've been arrested. They know they're being on, held on trial by the Sanhedrin. Who is the Sanhedrin? They're the ones that crucified Jesus. Now they got this, and if they crucified Jesus, how hard can it be to hang Peter and John up? They ain't going to think anything about that. So, so they, they've been worried sick. They have been praying for them. And now all of a sudden, here comes Peter and John with a story to tell. Can you imagine the excitement? Man, I mean, I, I imagine they had the place shook up. But I love the fact they didn't begin sharing stories. They began praying. Verse 24 says that when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, Thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea. and all that in them is. They lifted up to their voices to God. That means they had a prayer meeting. They didn't have to put out no one call to do anything. They all just broke out in worship. They didn't just have a prayer meeting. They were praising God. They were praising him for his omnipotence, the one that made everything. They're praying for his omniscience, the one who knows everything. You knew everything about it, and you brought them. They knew that the Sanhedrin council had a lot of authority. But they're praising him because they know that they have no authority that God doesn't allow. They can't do anything if God doesn't allow it. Verse twenty five. It says, Who by the mouth of David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. It's a quote from the second Psalm. It's a it's a prophetic, messianic psalm talking about life and even the death of the Messiah that will come. We've seen this early fulfillment at Calvary, but we won't see the final fulfillment until Armageddon. Calvary and Armageddon are two critical places where the world's planned opposition against Jesus Christ shows up. They, they represent the world's attitude towards the coming of Jesus Christ. The first time... Jesus came, he came as a lamb. I sent a song to Tim. I'm still a little amazed he hadn't heard that song. It was about 11, 12 years old. A guy named Steve that sings the song um, earlier in the week. Um, i trying to remember who sent it to me. Um, Kathy. Kathy Chumak sent it to me. said that they, they had Steve sing that on Fox News. That's impressive. i tell you why it's impressive. The song is Where Else Would a Lamb Be Born? It talks about how a a trough of hay inside of a stable became a cradle. But where else would a lamb be born but in a stable? That was sang on Fox News. I thought that was pretty impressive. So I said it to Tim just knowing Christmas season's coming, and that's that's never anything but a little silence, you know, kind of just in case you might want to sing this or something, you know. I didn't ask to sing it. I just kind of sent it, you know, where it's kind of fresh on the tip of the tongue, on the mind, kind of like a door from Chris Tomlin, you know. It just, there are some songs just up there at the top. So, so at any rate, the first time he comes is a lamb, and God allowed man to do the unthinkable to his son. But the next time he comes, he's coming for war. He's coming in all power and all might. He's coming to claim his own and to get rid of the rest. The first time he came, he came with a veil over his glory. He hid himself. But when he comes back, all of his glory will be shown in the fullness of all of it. The first time he came, they shed his blood. When he comes back, it says he, that he's going to shed their blood, that the valley of Megiddo is filled to the horses bridle with their blood, and that the fowl of the earth shall feast on their carcasses. God's not taken by surprise there at Calvary. It was all part of the original plan. David wrote about it. Isaiah wrote about it. I mean, there, there are many of the Old Testament prophets that write about the coming of Christ. They write about the cross. They write about the death. They write about the world's opposition, the rejection of the Messiah. When Pilate put the sign over the head of Jesus, he, he, put, he put the, you know, up at the cross, we even do it in Easter play, that Jesus was Nazareth, king of the Jews. That Old Testament text says that the world will reject the Lamb of God. The world will reject the, the Holy Child. Luke chapter 23, verse 38 says that a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is king of the Jews. It was written in Greek, but that is the language of the world's culture. It's written in Latin. That is the language of the world's power. It was written in Hebrew. That is the language of the world's only revealed religion at the time. The entire world endorsed the crime of Calvary just like it was written in Psalm chapter 2. The text goes on, verse 27, it says, For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. God determined it, not man. Not not Pilate. Not Caiaphas. God put all of this in motion, and the entire human race is mentioned in it. Herod and, and Pilate points to individual guilt. We know that, that Pontius Pilate um, is the one who, who actually had Jesus crucified, the one that actually condemned him. Herod Antipas is one of the Jewish leaders. He mocked Jesus. Um, Herod had Jesus beaten, had him scorned. Now, the reason Herod had Jesus beaten is because he was angry. But the reason Pilate had Jesus sentenced is because he was afraid. The motives are different, but the results are the same. The mob cried, Crucify him. That, that represents corporate guilt, those are individual guilt. But now you bring in The corporate mob, the corporate gathering, the corporate of the Jews and and the corporate of the Gentiles. It was the mob that yelled crucify him. Most of that mob is the Jews. They're the ones that's aggravated. It's the Jews who, who brought him to be crucified. But it's the Gentile who actually nailed him to the cross. They both went to Golgotha to watch him die on the cross. So you have both of them there. Psalm 2 is fulfilled that the whole world united against thy holy child Jesus, but it's all done in accordance with God's perfect plan. God took the most despicable act of violence and hatred that man has ever done on this earth, and he used it to show the incredible wonder of his amazing grace. The most despicable thing that man could have ever thought imaginable, the most horrible crime they could have ever committed, God took it and said, this is how much grace I have. This is how much I love you. The cross is a, it's a horrible picture of death. I mean, they would hang people on there with those inscriptions and leave them for days to, for people to see them to try to deter crime. It would stop me from doing stuff. If I knew that's what was going to happen to me, I wouldn't be... Stealing nothing. I mean, the one man just stole something. realize he's trying to feed his family, but I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying it'd be enough to scare me. So it's this horrible death that they put up. And, and then Christ doesn't just get the crucifixion, but he has the beating to go with it. He has all the beating prior to, before they ever even put him on the cross. So so God takes this this, this cross, the cross that means suffering, the cross that means agonizing pain, the, the cross that meant death in that day. But the same cross today for you and I is a picture of deliverance. The same cross today for you and I is a door into the kingdom of God. It, it is the door that opens, the, the place it takes us from our sin into new life. It, it is a picture where it was a picture of death; it's now a picture of eternal life. All because of Jesus. Boy, ain't God good? We're all, we're all. Anybody here going to heaven? Only by the cross. I love the song. Ain't one way we're going to get there come by the way of the cross. Have no stories to tell. I have nothing that I can brag on. I have nothing that I've done. We kind of like that man on the cross. He's the one that told me I could come. He's the one that told me I could stay. I have no merits to claim. I have no good deeds. I have nothing to count on. I've done nothing to deserve to be here. But that man, Jesus, that name Jesus, he told me I could stay. Man. Peter says, if you think (laughs) your bad attitude and your threats are going to stop me from talking about Jesus, you got another thought coming. If you think what you've got to say is going to stop me from telling everybody what I have seen and heard, and that's Jesus, you think I'm going to stop talking about Jesus, you're sadly mistaken. You and I need that mentality. You, you and I need that, that same mentality, knowing what Christ has done for us, knowing that that cross was for us, knowing that everything that happened was for us, and, and not accidentally for us, but foreordained before the foundation of the world, the cross was in place so that you and I could be redeemed by the Lamb of God. We got a story to tell, boy, we got some stuff to tell. We ought to be like Peter. He can say what you want, think what you want, do what you want, but I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus. Well, Lord willing, we'll pick up here, verse number 29, next week. We'll, we'll pick up with them praying there. Um, matter of fact, Lord willing, we'll pick up next week in the building next door. i tell you what I'm going to do. Tim, your table's still going to be over there? In the back? Your choir coffee table? All right, next Wednesday, we're going to have coffee and donuts over there. How about that? Woo! Woo! This Gooch can't get on until we spill them over there. We'll just clean the carpet. So, so I'll, I'll bring a pot. We'll do some coffee. It's a little smaller over there. It ain't that small. We'll have more enough room for us. You know, Lord willing, we'll open the book of Acts and look at a prayer. No, I don't know. We may read their prayer and break out in a prayer meeting. I don't know. But either way, we'll gather over there. I hope it's nice and cold so the hot coffee will be better. Right now, y'all thinking, tonight's the nice. night. You should have brought me some coffee. God, thank you so much, God. Thank you, thank you so much, God. I thank you for this book. I thank you for everything that it tells, Lord. I thank you for the name of Jesus, the name which is above every name, the name at which demons must flee, sickness must flee, the name at which we can call on and have our sins forgiven, the name that has erased our past, erased our guilt, the name that has written our name in the Lamb's book of life, the name that has given us an eternal home and glory. Thank you for the name of Jesus, that one name, Lord God, the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus, Father, thank you so much. God, we just come together in one accord to tell you Thank you, Father. Lord, I pray you'd be with everybody, every family represented in this place right here tonight, all the people on the campus and the children. God, I pray you'd bless every home represented. I pray you'd pour your blessings out on their families. I pray you'd put a hedge of protection around each and every one of us, God. I pray you'd help us, Father, strengthen us, help us to be a light in a dark world. Help us, God, Lord, that that we might shine forth, that people might see your goodness and your glory in us and through us, that we might tell others about Jesus. Lord God, I pray that the light in us would be so bright that when a lost world looks at us, they can see that we have something that they need. You've been so good to us, God. Help us to tell the world about nobody but Jesus. We love you, we thank you, and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.